It's a big world, and survival depends on the quality of your decisions. You need a diverse viewpoint to see all the opportunities around you. Now is the time, and this is the place. This is the Ellis Martin Report. When you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business, there's a large probability, if not a certainty, that the Ellis Martin Report is compensated for that mention. We're telling you this so you can make your own independent evaluation of these opportunities. Also, as with most leading-edge opportunities, if you can't afford to potentially lose your investment, don't risk it. We make no personal recommendations about any sponsor on this program. We encourage you to do your own research. Yes, we do as much due diligence as possible, but nothing is completely predictable in this big world. Here's an idea. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit us at ellismartinreport.com. And now, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jordan Trimble, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Sky Harbor Resources, trading as SYH on the TSX Venture Exchange and SYHBF on the OTCQB in the U.S. Sky Harbor Resources is a preeminent uranium and thorium exploration company with projects located in the prolific Athabasca Basin of Saskatchewan, Canada, which was ranked as the best mining jurisdiction to work in globally by the Fraser Institute in 2017. The company has been acquiring top-tier exploration projects at attractive valuations culminating in five uranium properties totaling approximately 200,000 hectares throughout the basin. In July 2016, Sky Harbor secured an option from Denison Mines to acquire a 100% interest in the Moore Uranium Project, now the flagship project, which hosts the high-grade Maverick Zone. The company is run by a strong management and geological team who are major shareholders with extensive capital markets experience as well as focused uranium exploration expertise in the basin. Jordan, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So there's always new listeners all the time. So give our audience an overview of Sky Harbor. Yeah, so Sky Harbor is a high-grade uranium exploration and early-stage development company with projects uh, located throughout the prolific Athabasca Basin. It's the highest-grade depository of uranium in the world. Uh, one of the top mining jurisdictions to work in, number three, is ranked by the Fraser Institute. So we've built a portfolio of projects. We've taken advantage of a relatively depressed uranium market, acquiring these projects for pennies on the dollar. They're scattered throughout the Athabasca Basin, having exposure both to the, the west side where you've had uh, recent notable discoveries like NextGen, like Fission. We have partner companies funding exploration programs there. And then on the east side where we have several projects, including our flagship high-grade Moore project, uh, that's where this upcoming drill program, 2,500 meters, uh, is going to be. And a few other projects on the east side where you have the infrastructure and the uh, existing and producing mines as well. What do you expect to see, hopefully, in the East Maverick Zone? Yeah, so the East Maverick Zones uh, are top and highest priority target going into this 2,500 meter winter drill program. I like to emphasize the work that we did in 2019, a little bit of drilling, which led to the discovery of the highest grade mineralized zone we found to date uh, in the underlying basement rocks. And just to refresh a listener's memory on this, the basement rocks are where you've seen most of the notable high grade recent discoveries like NextGen, like the Griffin Department 
deposit that uh, that Denison's discovered. So this is a new geological setting that we're now looking into that uh, hasn't had a lot of historical exploration drilling into it, especially on our property at Moore. So we're going in there now with this 2,500 meter drill program. We're following up on one of the last holes that we drilled at the East Maverick zone, which intersected two and a half percent over 2.3 meters. So uh, one of our higher grade zones, but we think we've just nicked the top or the side of a much larger zone. We can see through the geophysics and through the geochem in that hole that it appears to be coming from a feeder zone or a larger source of mineralization. So we're going to be going back in there. We're going to be drilling around that down plunge, uh, looking for the extension and hopefully a larger zone of higher grade mineralization. Then we're going to be testing a long strike up to the northeast on that four kilometer long Maverick corridor. Again, only about half of this structural corridor has been systematically drill tested. So room to move along strike and room to move below in the basement rocks. Now, I know it's too early to ask about when you expect those results because you're just getting ready to start, but give us an outlook of, of what's going to happen in 2020 and pending those results, where will you go from there? Yeah, so we'll commence the drill program in February. The 2,500 meters will likely take us about a month and a half or so. We will be getting results trickling in. Uh, again, with uranium exploration, a great part about it is you can get a sense of what you're into, uh, whether you're hitting high-grade mineralization or not. You can uh, pick up the radioactivity from the rock through a scintillometer, gamma probe. And so that'll give us an idea of uh, whether we're into the type of mineralization we want to be into early on. So there'll be lots of news flow uh, over the course of the next several months. Now it's important to note too, our dual pronged strategy of high grade discovery and exploration at our flagship project more complemented by prospect generation, bringing in partner companies to fund exploration at our other projects. Over on the west side of the Athabasca Basin, we have two strategic partners, one being Arano, which is France's largest uranium mining and nuclear company. They're earning in up to 70% at our Preston project. They have to spend $8 million over a six-year period. They're about halfway through that right now. They're planning a large geophysical program coming up starting shortly. That will be followed up by a drill program. And then uh, right beside them, we have a partner company, Azincourt Energy, that's come in on a 70% earn-in on our East Preston project. They're just finalizing the mobilization for an upcoming 2,500-meter drill program that they're carrying out, which is a pivotal drill program for them and for us. It's really the first significant drill program that they're carrying out on the project, testing the best targets on the East Preston project. So that'll commence shortly. So all in all, with us and our partner companies, you have about 5,000 meters of drilling coming up, multiple exploration programs, most of which funded by partner companies. And we're also getting some cash payments from option partner companies as well in the next several months. We have been chatting about uranium, you and I now, for about uh, two years. What do you think is more significant coming down the road here in 2020 as compared to the previous years? So we've seen a buildup. We've seen a windup of interest in the market. What are your thoughts? It has been a bit of a roller coaster ride. Again, I get back to the last four or five years. If you look at the chart of the commodity price, the metal price, we definitely saw a bottom put in in late 2016 when it dipped below $18 a pound. We have seen the trend reverse. I believe we're in the early days of a recovery with the commodity. If you look out through 2020, you know, a couple of key points here. One, again, the underlying supply demand fundamentals are as compelling for uranium as they are for any metal. You have a, a major structural supply deficit that's forming. We've seen, uh, as, as we've talked about in previous interviews, a lot of supply, a lot of production curtailment uh, over the last several years, in particular, Cameco having shut down indefinitely MacArthur River until we see much higher uranium prices. That's a lot of material that's come out of the market. So it's tightened up the market. Cameco, because they've shut down production, uh, 
has to be acquiring that material from somewhere else. Uh, they'll be buying in the spot market as they have been. That'll be supportive of prices. But more recently, we've seen utility interest come back to the market. Utility procurement has picked up. That's the biggest thing is the long-term contracts for most of the uranium, most of the materials traded. A lot of those are expiring over the next four to five years. We are now finally starting to see utility companies starting to come back to the market, starting to show an interest in long-term contracting, which I think will continue. Last year, you know, we had this uncertainty created by Section 232 and the subsequent Nuclear Fuel Working Group. I think a resolution or an end to that will be huge. I think that'll be a big catalyst that'll lift this dark cloud and uncertainty that's plagued the industry over the last eight or nine months. And last but not least, we, we see what's happening in Iran. I think w- with the tensions in Iran right now, that could cause the market to tighten up as well. There's sanction waivers that allow certain companies in Europe and China and Russia to deal with the Iranian nuclear program. Now this nuclear deal basically unraveling right now could tighten up the market and cause prices to go higher. And then finally, one last thing too, and I I think we did speak about this in, in the last program, but we have started to see the enrichment and the conversion prices increasing in 2019. And that could be a good leading indicator. We're seeing those parts of the fuel cycle, those markets tighten up. And and I think you will see that eventually spill over to the uh, into the uranium market. I know the answer to this, but we have to reach out to people that maybe have had a negative view of uranium in the past, or they just don't understand the nuclear industry, if you will, because you do it so well. Explain why uranium and nuclear energy is the most sustainable, the cleanest, the most efficient and economical form of energy. I, I will just segue into it by saying in the last six months, you've seen uh, climate change protests reach a point we haven't seen in in a long time, if ever. So this is top of mind for a lot of people globally. And I think as this trend continues, where more and more people are cognizant of what's happening with their climate globally, I think it's only going to be beneficial for nuclear because the deeper dive you do into climate change and how we can practically, pragmatically solve it, nuclear is really the only option out there. And it's the only source of clean, baseload, reliable electricity generation. And if you look at, for example, an environmentalist, well-known environmentalist, a gentleman by the name of Michael Schellenberger, I implore people to go just simply Google him, watch some of his talks. He was an anti-nuclear environmentalist for the longest of times, and he finally came to a senses. And, uh, you know, he talks a lot about this over the last several years. Uh, You know, you just look at the numbers, take France and Germany, for example. If we want to take a serious approach and solution to climate change and solve the issues that we have, the problems that we have, we have to consider nuclear as being, you know, that pragmatic solution. And it complements renewable energy. I think that's a big part of this conversation as well. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. But again, I note that it is the only source of 24-7 baseload, clean, affordable, affordable, reliable electricity. And the new reactors that are coming online, they're much safer. They can generate a lot more electricity. Uh, So that's a big part of the conversation as well. So uh, again, I think with what we're seeing with these climate change protests, I think that it's all going to lead to the same thing. And that's improving sentiment for nuclear energy. And let's wrap this up with the quick discussion of the, of the share structure. Yeah, so there's about 75 million shares issued in outstanding, trades at about a $12.5 million market cap. You can see in the last a little while, I've been purchasing a lot of shares in the market. I believe the value proposition right now, given the catalysts that we have coming up, multiple programs, drill programs and exploration programs, and uh, most of which funded by partner companies, offers investors a really interesting value proposition right now, given that the valuation is 
where it is. And one hole at a 12 or $13 million market cap, one good drill hole can make a world of difference. And uh, that's what we're hoping to achieve here. And then you add on, in particular, I think over the next 12 months, a number of these catalysts with the uranium market and improving sentiment for nuclear going forward. Jordan, it's always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us here in our Vancouver studios. Hope to see you again soon. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Jordan Trimble, president and CEO of Sky Harbor Resources, trading as SYH on the TSX Venture Exchange and SYHBF on the OTCQB in the U.S. For the Ellis Martin Report and Sky Harbor Resources, I'm Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Gerald Pennington, the executive chairman of TerraX Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol TXR and in the U.S. as TRXXF. TerraX owns a 100% interest in the Yellowknife City Gold Project, encompassing 783 square kilometers of contiguous land within 12 kilometers of the city of Yellowknife. The project is located in the prolific Yellowknife Greenstone Belt, covering 70 kilometers of strike length along the main mineralized break-in proximity to the former high-grade Khan and Giant gold mines, which have produced over 14 million ounces of gold. The Yellowknife City Gold Project is close to vital infrastructure, including all-season roads, air transportation, service providers, hydroelectric power, and skilled tradespeople. Mr. Pennington was the founder of Detour Gold, which was recently acquired by Kirkland Lake for $4.9 billion Canadian. Gerald, welcome back to the program. Nice to see you here in Vancouver. Nice to see you, Ellis. Gerald, I've got a question for you. You appear to be a very wealthy man. I don't know what you're worth. It's none of my business. You've retired two or three times. Why are you still working? Well, it's very simple. First of all, as a geologist, I was very fortunate to choose this profession. We have the opportunity to create value. I look at what I've done through my years of being a professional. And you retire, but you go back because, you know, you can work on a good project and you can create value. Whatever it's for the community you work in, whatever it's Yellowknife, Cochrane, Ontario, and also for the shareholder that invest and trust you. And this is exactly what happened at Detour, and this is exactly what we intend to do with Terax Minerals. So once you had some great success, and if it's in your blood like geology is, like gold is, you just have to keep going because nothing else is quite as exciting in the world of creating wealth? I think what we do as geologists is that we take an occurrence, we take an understanding, it's a complex problem, you need to resolve it. Where's the mine? How big can it be? I love the challenge. How many people have been on some project and you think the project is dead? And suddenly you come up with a different set of eyes. People have done some good work before. It's not that they've done something wrong, but you can take it to the next level. And after building three gold mines during my career, two with Barrick and Detour Gold, I got the neck for finding answers, taking a project that maybe has not been looked properly, or maybe it has been underlooked or overlooked, and basically create that value. We have areas in Canada, such as Ontario, Timmins, Kirkland Lake, everybody's going crazy about the Golden Triangle with very good reason. And you've had stories like Great Bear, uh, Detour Lake, Kirkland, all that has happened. And now with gold lighting up a little bit, we're all looking for that 10 banger, that 20 banger. And I mean, really people that have had success in the sector, that's how they've done it. They've got in early. This is not a new company, but it's a great story. And I believe last time I looked, your stock was at about 26 cents. Canadian. And I'm thinking, like many investors are, can we see a 5, 10, 20 banger? You don't have to really answer that question because it's a very speculative question for me to ask the chairman of a company. But as an investor, that's what I'm looking for. How do we get there? 
And let's talk about the Northwest Territories, which you don't hear much about. Well, let's go back. How do you create value? How do you do a three-baggers, a five-baggers, or a ten-baggers? There's a parallel between Terax and Detour Lake. When I purchased the Detour Lake story back in 2006 from a junior company called Palangio Mine, I wanted to have 100%. It took me one afternoon to look at all the section and make my case saying, there could be five to 10 million ounces of gold there. I end up to close to 20 million ounces in production and reserve. The mine just got sold for $4.9 billion. The closing is at the end of January. I bought the property for 75 million and today it's gonna be sold for 4.9 billion. That's how you create value. I know that most of the people, including myself, did a 10 bagger on Detour. Can I repeat this at Terax? I don't know. I don't know, and the reason is, I don't know how much I'm gonna find. But my goal, and what I see in Yellowknife, is a property that has suffered from its location, from its history. There's a couple of sad things that happened in, in Yellowknife. Back in the days when there was a blast in the mine that killed nine miners, it's sad. However, this project, this is probably the best chance of a five million ounces deposit in all of Canada within city infrastructure. Everybody goes home at night. So compared to all the discovery that you can see in Canada, we're talking Northwest Territory. How can you make money in Northwest Territory? There's only one city, and it's Yellowknife. All the rest is rotation, fly in, fly out. Very expensive. So the difference here is that we have a mining camp that has produced 14 million ounces so far, up to about 2004, that has been, say, forgotten to some extent. People have grabbed the lamb. The people, like I said, currently we're doing a reset. This is a reset of a company that worked for six years on a project without delivering a resource. We've delivered the first one, almost three quarter million ounces. Ain't gonna stop there. We're just starting. We've got drill turning as we speak in Yellowknife that will bring that project to over a million ounces, maybe one and a half. And it's open. It's not closed. I mean, the ground that we have, 800 square kilometers almost, is underlying a lot of potential for globalization that has not been fully explored. And that's why I firmly believe that we can definitely have a multiple fold of answers. Is it gonna be five or 10? I don't know, but we're working towards it and we want it within the next couple of years. What are you gonna be doing this year to develop the resource? Drilling. Very important. We just raised five and a half million dollars in December. I've raised $2.6 billion during my detour days, but we were building a mine, of course. This time around, share structure is different, share price is different, but the asset is amazing. And that's what's important. Because the asset is amazing, I know that we can create value by the drill bit. So for example, this year we're planning to do about 10 to 20,000 meters of drilling. In the winter, on one target, in the summer on three or four high-grade target. And we believe that with the next 20,000 meters, maybe we'll get to 2 million ounces by the end of the year. So if I double the resource in 2020, I'll be very happy. And if I do another double in 2021, the market will start following the story a lot more. Do you believe it will take that long for the market to respond, Gerald? Look, we're building a different company. Like I said, it's a reset. I brought directors from my detour days. So we're rebuilding the detour goal team. So you've moved the best assets of the team over to TerraX? Slowly, yes. I got the investor relation person, Laurie Gabori. It's now a director helping implementing the investor relation part of it. I brought Louis Zian, which I've been working for 27 years through the Barrick days. He was my first director at Detour in 2006. He left in 2014. And Louis and I is the mining engineer geologist combination. 
we are a team together. We talk to each other, we listen to each other, and we make better decisions. How long would you potentially wait, and this is me asking as a journalist, you can answer the question any way you want. At what point would you entertain some of the offers you may get in the future from the majors for an acquisition? When? Look, it's always interesting. We're never for sale. We don't put ourselves with a sale sign. If you like us and we're good enough and sexy enough and we have enough answers that attracts you, that's all we need. My goal is to create value, whatever. And the difference is that I can build a mine. I've done three, so I can do it again. Let's talk about the management structure of this company. Who's involved and why? Well, it's very simple. David Sudar is our president and CEO. Uh, David knows the industry extremely well. He needed some support technically, and that's where I'm him for. I'm also here to be his mentor. Look, I don't want to be the CEO, but I've done it very well at Detour. And what I can say is that David was able to spot the right project in Canada. In my mind, we're the top five project in Canada. I mean, there are some great discovery, whatever you talk about, Great Bear, Windfall, and others, okay? But how often can you find five million ounces in town where people can go home and sleep at home every night? Very few. So when you talk about management, this is a good story that was picked up by David, and now we're resetting the company, we're rebuilding it. I myself own more than four million share in the company. It's not much, it's a couple of percent. It's just a start. But I think when people start believing, and there's a lot of people believing in the story, but what happened with management, sometimes it gets tired. It doesn't get focused properly. And that's where we're here for. We're here to do the reset with a stronger management and a stronger board of directors. Who are some of the other major shareholders in the company? Major shareholders are mainly retail, but some large retail like people that have 10 million share, for example. We've met some of them last fall. I would say that our distribution of shoulders may be 20, 25% in Europe, 10, 15% in Asia. The push that we need to do is attract institutions. It's mainly retail. Institution is maybe sitting at 10, 15%. That can increase to 30, 40, 50%. Retail is important. It's very important because retail realized before institution that this is a good story. A good story is about three things. A good project, a good vehicle, and proper management. Gerald, it's great to see you here in Vancouver. Always a pleasure. I look forward to a trip up to Yellowknife where I know the infrastructure is great and I won't get lost in the bush. Of course not. Thanks so much for joining us today. I look forward, Ellis, that we visit the project together in the near future. I've been speaking with Gerald Penitent, the executive chairman of TerraX Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol TXR and in the U.S. as TRXXF. For TerraX Minerals and the Yellow Smart Report, I'm Ellis Martin. TerraX is a paid sponsor of the Yellow Smart Report. Follow Ellis on Instagram at Elmo Joe Man. Again, find him on Instagram at Elmo Joe Man. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Grant Ewing, CEO of Rock Ridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange. Rock Ridge Resources is a new public mineral exploration company focused on the acquisition, exploration, and development of mineral resource properties in Canada. Grant, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Ellis. Good to be here. Why don't you bring us up to date on what's happening in Ontario at the Rainy Gold Project? We just announced that we're mobilizing our first drill program at the Rainy Gold Project. The project hasn't been drilled or been explored in over a decade, 
and we're following up on a high-grade intercept, 6.5 grams per tonne, gold over 8 metres, that was discovered about a decade ago in the last exploration program. And nothing was done a, a decade ago because the price of gold was $900, or what was the reason for that? Yeah, that was right. Gold was trading at about the $900 US per ounce range approximately back then, and the program ended with this intercept, and they couldn't set up on to drill it properly because of a small body of water where the drill would have had to set up and it wasn't frozen. So we're going back in now with better conditions for drilling it off. And also some recent developments have been a new geologic model for the project. Our team has spent the last few months assessing all of the historic data, and we're quite excited about a new interpretation we have on this mineralized zone that hosts that gold structure. Instead of a north-dipping structure that the historical model has, we now envision it to be a south-dipping structure. And this is important because it opens up the dip potential as well as the strike potential on this zone. And it also provides for better continuity of the historic drill intercepts. And you're going to start that drill program in a few weeks, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We'll start sort of early to mid-February. It'll take a good 30 or so days anyways to complete, and it'll be approximately 2,000 meters plus or minus 7 to 10 drill holes with the first concentration on this high-grade area that we've discovered, and then we'll try to bring that down plunge and a long strike. How long is the drill program going to last? We think we'll have it completed in probably 30 days or so for phase one, and then we'll have to get all the core processed and so on. It'll take another probably 60 days or plus or minus. With result, pending results, we could look at implementing a phase two as well, which would step out a long strike on this structure to do more exploration drilling. So you really can't forecast the amount of drilling you're going to do during the entire year without results from phase one. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of this is driven by results. We anticipate good results because we're following up on a considerable intercept that was never followed up on in the past. And now it's just to find out how extensive this mineralization is. What else is happening with the company? This Rainy Gold project is one of our core assets focused on gold. Our second core asset is the Knife Lake project. It's a copper-dominated project in eastern Saskatchewan. And this project will be active summertime and onward for us. So we'll have a very active year in 2020 with both gold exploration and copper exploration programs underway. Grant, for those that are listening to this segment and this company for the very first time on a program, why don't you give us an overview of the capital structure and the share price? So we've got approximately 34 million shares outstanding. We're a relatively new company, just about two years old. So 34 million shares issued and outstanding, a small market cap of about $6.5 million Canadian today. And we see great potential in share price appreciation as we go forward this year with active exploration programs for copper and gold. Well, Grant, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks, Alice. I've been speaking with Grant Ewing, CEO of Rockbridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange. For more information on Rockbridge Resources, go to the company's website, rockridgeresourcesltd.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form. I'm Ellis Martin. I invite you to join me now in the Malibu studios of the Ellis Martin Report for a conversation with actor, model, journalist, spokesperson, director, producer, and master of improv, Christine Wynn. Christine was born in Saigon, Vietnam and raised in Houston, Texas. She went on to train at the Los Angeles branch of the Australian Institute of Dramatic Arts. Ms. Wynn has appeared in dozens of projects which have aired on CBS, NBC, Fox, Comedy Central, Spike, HBO, G4, 
Discovery, and Showtime. You've seen her in films such as Get Him to the Greek. This is the first of several lifestyle-oriented conversations that I'll be having with Christine, and we welcome her to the program today at the edge of the continent overlooking the Pacific Ocean at Zuma Beach in Malibu. Christine, hi. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Ellis. Thanks for having me in your studio. Now, I'm thinking... Most of my listeners are probably wondering, and maybe some aren't because they know me, why are you on my program today? (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) it seems like you've known about me for a while, and bless the internet, if it wasn't for the internet, we might never have been able to meet in person. But the fact that you kind of know my background, and it's a bit of a sexier background, I feel like it kind of gave you a segue into maybe starting a conversation with me. And then when we did get to meet, it seemed like we had a lot of things in common. One of those being we were very open about speaking about sexuality and relationships. And um, yeah, if you approached me about maybe coming on to your radio show and maybe we could do a little interview and we could both open people's minds up and let them be more free with their sexuality. Which has been the story of my life, actually. And you're absolutely correct, but I have to add to it. Oh, I, I love add, that. I have to add to what you said. I actually thought that you grew up next to me in New Mexico. That oh, you yes. were my neighbor. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that, okay. That was the actual entree. I'm not sure if I would have reached out to you otherwise, but uh-huh. I thought for sure you were my neighbor. That was a legitimate reason. It I love that. It was a legitimate reason. I, I'm not just the type of guy ever in my life, hey, I really like your work, what are you doing, or any of those lame things that I'm sure men do on the internet or in life. They do, but you know what? I have to say this. You have to be able to take a compliment sometimes. I used to get real shy about it and nervous and kind of giddy or uncomfortable. But then one of my friends said once, he said something like, um, oh, you just look amazing today. And I was just like tongue-tied. And I said, I don't, I don't know what to say. And he goes, thank you. That's all, you know? So taking compliments good, too. But I like your story as well. <laughs> I actually thought you were my neighbor. And because, because your name, Christine Wynn, is actually not uncommon. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I thought I was special, but nope. Open up any phone book nowadays, and the winds are like Smiths. But very, very true. But uh, you are special. Thank so, you. And, and I recognize that somehow with your photos. And it just sort of... And I, being a photographer, I think... There's a connection between the photographer and, and the model and the, and the actor. It's in there. Even if the photographer's not good, if that presence that is yours is a 24-7 presence, then it will show in pretty much everything that you do, and it does. No matter what the project is, you're always going to be you. True. It's very true. It's, I think that um, your, your shine, no matter how you shine, you know, will always come through. The real you, that's, that's it. The real you will always come through, no matter what. It's not an act, right? Everybody, yeah. Sometimes it is an act, but it shouldn't be when you're having interpersonal relationships between human beings. Uh-huh. And I wanted to ask you about that shine, because I've been having this discussion with, with friends and people in the world of psychology. Do you think that shine is something that can be developed if it's not automatically there? Definitely, because I know if we talk about that kind of shine, it was not always there for me. I grew up in a very conservative, conservative household. 
I mean, I'm Asian, first of all. Second generation Asian, but I was born in Vietnam, which makes me even more conservative than the Asians born here nowadays. I was born before, you know, the major, like, development of, like, when internet, I mean, was there when internet started, you know? But I still remember the days of, like, you got to read everything. Everything's on TV, or you actually have to come out and do things. You can't just sit in your room by yourself and learn things. I wasn't afforded that opportunity, so I was very sheltered. So the person I am today was not the person I would have been, let's say, even 20 years ago. So yeah, you can develop your own shine, but you want to have to develop it, and it takes time. It just doesn't come overnight. You can't just buy a three-step book and think that it's going to happen. You have to cultivate it. You have to make it your own. There's typically no rule book with regard to cultivating your shine or your charismatic ability. I know I'm charismatic because everybody tells me so. It's not clearly obvious to me, but I know when I walk into a room, usually there's notice of that. And I've had to pay attention to it over the years. I, I was shy when I was younger and still I was attracting people to me. But they say that that is not always something you're born with, that it is something that you develop. How did you specifically develop your shine, your charismatic ability, which you clearly have? Um, I think for a long time, there's seven and 10 years difference between me and my younger brothers. So for a while, I was like an only child. And when you're an only child with two parents that are basically your lock key kind of kid, you're at home by yourself all the time. You develop this like fantasy world where you kind of become the person you want to be in your head. And some people make it stop there. They just, they, they live in their fantasy. Well, I just knew eventually I'm going to get that opportunity to make this a reality. Like I always say this, and it's, it might sound cliche, but there's a reason they're cliches, right? Because they usually are correct. If you can see who you are, you can see it, you can be it. I always saw myself as a very outgoing girl, even though I was sitting home by myself, not with any friends hanging around. No brothers and sisters, parents are always at work. I saw myself as that outgoing girl. So given the opportunity, and that opportunity came in college when I was finally let out into the world by myself, flew the coop, I became that person I cultivated in my head. And that's what I'm saying. We all have this head. We all have, we can all create our own fantasies, but you need to act on those fantasies. Fantasies have to come from somewhere. Who are your influences? To be honest, magazines and TV. I always saw the people that I thought, every person I see, any person on the street, and this is a game I used to always play with myself, every person I see, I'd say, what is one thing I take from them? Whether it be a bum on the street, you know, a supermodel, an actor, a doctor, I would take one great quality that I would wish that I'd had from them, and I'd try to cultivate that quality. And so I kind of made a super person of all the people I thought, you know, and I just I tried to become that super person. Whether or not I achieved all the qualities I wanted, I'm not sure. But I always aim high because even if, you know, I say aim for the heavens. If you fall, you're still among the stars. You know, always aim high. You came from a cosmopolitan city. Houston, Texas is a world city. But yet you are from Texas. Yep. It's not exactly Los Angeles or New York. What was that transition like? What brought you to L.A.? Oh, my goodness. Alice, can I tell you, I was so green. I thought after college I knew everything, right? I came out here... <laughs> And I was the greenest person in the world in a city that just preys on new people coming in every day. Especially women. Oh, my. For real. Especially women. People coming in with stars in their eyes, of course, right? My story is I was pretty sheltered. I was in law school, and I had gotten a call from one of the producers at Playboy. This is when Playboy TV just started. And they had this Sexy Girls Next Door contest. Yeah, but how did you get the call? 
See, that's the thing I never have realized. I, I don't you know. You still don't know. I still don't know. The producer said, we got your name and your picture and your information. And so we thought we'd call you up and ask you, would you, we would like to invite you to be in this contest. And I said, well, who sent the picture? And they're like, we don't have a name or anything. We just, it was just in you know, like our mail. So that's when I thought... Sounds like a come on, right? It sounds like a come on. also sounds like a joke someone in college would play on me. <laughs> so I, you know, a couple of times I said, sure, 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 whatever. I'll get back to you. Never got back to him. And it was the fourth time they called and they said, you have to make a decision because we're either going to fly you out here or we're going to move on to the next person. And so I said at this point, well, what do I have to lose? You know, a, a week of law school. And so I didn't tell my parents and I said, sign me up. I'll do it. Got on a Southwest flight, flew out to L.A., shot for a week, won the contest. And then the West Coast editor, Linda Kenny, asked me, she goes, would you like to stay another week and we'll shoot you for some of the magazines? And I said, Sure. So I stayed out another week, and during that week that I was out here, I basically grew up and also grew a pair, because <laughs> before I was so timid. Probably I, 10 years on my life, but, but life circumstances, because I'd been so sheltered before. I was in my 20s, but it was like as if I'd never lived. But when you came out here, I was meeting new people. I was put in situations where I really had to fend for myself or learn to be like, you know, out there, outgoing. And either you have it in you or you don't. And you know what they say when, um, what is it, when opportunity knocks, you better be ready. And I was pretty ready because in my head I'd been waiting for this moment not knowing it. So I got a bunch of offers to do certain things with this and that, you know, some TV, some certain small parts here and there. And when I told people, oh, I'd love to fly back in for it. And they said, well, no, you, <laughs> you kind of have to live here, honey. You know, and I was like, oh, I'm still in law school. So I went back. Um, finished off the year and then left law school and drove out here in my little Miata. And that's how I got out of here. <laughs> that's a great story, but I have to ask you this question. Had you fantasized ever while you were putting yourself together into the supergirl, the superwoman, the super entity? Had you fantasized ever about working with Playboy and working in erotic art? You know, I never thought about that. I knew that I'd be... Um, in a magazine somehow or other, on a stage or in front of a camera, whether it be moving or still, I knew that part about myself. I was always priming myself in my fantasy for that. You randomly, things happen in the universe, okay? I feel like if you put it out there or you work hard enough towards it, certain things align. And I'm not a big astrology person, but what I've realized just through living, if you put enough effort into your dream or what you want to manifest itself, certain small things will come together. Whether you subtly put those things together yourself or you put that aura out there or you just work hard enough to put enough irons in the fire, things will come together for you. You were working on getting a law degree and somebody submitted you to Playboy. Somehow. Oh, yeah, but I was still shooting back in Texas. Oh, you know? okay. I was still, I was modeling and okay. I was doing small commercials here okay. and there. But I didn't, I never thought I'm going to be in Playboy. I always thought those chicks are so hot in Playboy. <laughs> that would be pretty cool, you know? And back then they didn't even have any Asians in Playboy. It was pretty, it was not as cosmopolitan as now. They didn't you, have were, a lot of women of color. Were you the go to Asian at some point? <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was pretty nice when I moved out here. You know, you didn't see a lot of um, ethnicity on TV and magazines. You'd, you'd see some chosen few. But I realized at one point, I'm kind of the go-to Asian face and body. And I don't mind that. A lot of people would be like, well, there's not that puts you in this narrow niche. And I'm like, hey, it's a good-looking body and a face that people like. I'll take that niche any day. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad niche to be in. No, I think I'll take it. In accordance with that, intention is everything. 
And yes. I'm not necessarily talking about astrology. We can't prove or disprove anything that happens in the stars affects us here on this planet. I know some of our listeners will agree with me and many won't. But we can talk about that unspoken, not completely understood intention. Thoughts are deeds, thoughts are actions, events, things congeal from thoughts, and you've proven that. Oh, yeah. You can't just think of things. I think, what is it? I know I've read this somewhere before. A thought coupled with an action, coupled right. with tenacity or something like that, that's what keeps things going. You can't just try once either. You've got to have a plan. You got to do something about that plan. If it doesn't work, you kind of redo your plan and do it again. You can't give up. The thing is about giving up. If I gave up every time I was rejected by a man, a female, a show, a company, I would have thrown my towel in ages ago. And I think a lot of successful people in this world would not have been as successful were they not tenacious. Tenacity is everything. You got to keep going. Where does your tenacity come from? My tenacity comes from. I come from Vietnamese people are very hardworking people. Asians are very hardworking, stubborn people. It's not taking no for an answer. See, I don't like the word no. I've never liked the word no from a man, a woman, anybody. The word no to me makes me try even harder. In my head, there's always, and I don't like saying no. I always like saying there's a possibility or absolutely. You got to feel like you can make things happen. You got to feel that way with a business, with yourself, with a relationship. And, you know, some people will say, well, sometimes no is no. Yeah, no is no, but that's a whole different story. You can't take a failure and go with that. I think a failure is just a challenge to do better. A failure is a challenge to do better. Failure shuts a lot of people down in this business in LA and they leave. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's good. And I'm telling you why it's good. I'm not bitter about things, but that's good because not everyone is made for this business. Now, that's, that's this business. This is the business of entertainment. The business of life, you got to keep going, right? Because what are you going to do? You're going to shut down? You're just going to sit by yourself? You got to keep going. And then if you're going to be here in life, why wouldn't you strive for number one? You are your business. So you got to keep going every day for number one at your business. Do we just want to be mediocre? If we run our own business, which is us, being mediocre is nothing. I mean, some people might want to be, but then I say, you're lazy. All right? You're lazy. Laziness doesn't do anything for you. It makes you lethargic. It makes you feel like a sloth. And, and inevitably, it's going to make you depressed. Being lazy, I kid you not, I've been there before, and it's the most depressing thing in the world. So failure is definitely, an, you know, you got to accept it as a challenge. And once you do that, you keep on having that motivation to be better, which is cool. You know, you hit one goal, you make another goal, right? You know that, you know, you've done so much in your life and so many different avenues. Well, I get bored. There you go. And boredom <laughs> is terrible, but boredom is one thing that'll, that'll make you grow so old and just, you know, depress you even more than anything in this world. And that propels me to action. I like so many different things. I'm capable of so many different things, and so are many of our listeners. So are you listening right now? You're capable of probably much more than you're even doing, and it's never too late. Yeah. It's good to have someone who's a cheerleader for you, too, you know. I think I was lucky my mom was a huge cheerleader for me. you got to have one of those in your life. And it might not be your parents. Most times it's your parents or your siblings. But that's why people go out and they find that niche. You need just one person to cheer you on. That's all you need. And I think that's why, you know, you know how you're listening to us now. I listen to a lot of podcasts because I need my own cheerleader sometimes too. 
And I've got some great friends, but I can't always call them up every day and say, you know what, I, I need you to rah-rah me today. You know, everyone's got their own life going. And what I realize is that there are people out there who know more than I do. You have to accept that too. You can't feel like you know everything because if you think you do, you're very wrong. There's someone out there who knows a little bit more than you and seek those people out or you know, or at least listen to them. That's what I do. I remember I told you I take a little bit from everybody. We're so lucky now to have podcasts and YouTube and books, you know, and seminars and everything. We have the world is so open for us to be the best person we can be. Why not take advantage of that? Think about like 20 years ago. You would never be able to listen to us. I had to go out and buy a magazine and look at all these supermodels. You can probably go and find a a podcast now that has the guy that's the best workout guy in the world or the guy that's the best businessman in the world. And he might give you a couple tips that you could use. So... Find that one cheerleader for you, very quietly. You don't have to announce yourself to them. I never do. I quietly take from them. But find your cheerleader and build from the wise words that they can give you. Be very quiet about it. Just look at everybody around you. Who's doing well? Okay, take a little bit from them. Take a little bit from her. That's what I think. And what about living your life and increasing your inner circle with more positive people, with people that maybe have more on the ball than you, although that's sort of a judgment, that statement, but can teach you something that can bring you something. And then again, in that same context, eliminating those in your life that are constantly bombarding you with negativity, whether it's their own or it's about you. Oh my gosh, that is so important, especially living in a town like this where, you know, there are a lot of really strong people and everyone's a bit eccentric in their own way. It's a very egocentric town, right? And so with that comes a lot of competition. I think the person you should always compete with is yourself, okay? And then when you find people who are around you that are competing with you, I'm going to tell you right now, that is a toxic environment, especially if it is your family or your friends. Family and friends support each other. And I'm talking from experience. When you surround yourself with people that want to cheer you on, a healthy level of competition is good not with your people who care about you. If you care about someone, don't compete with them. Compete with yourself. I know that's a highfalutin thing to say, but trust and believe. I've lived this life, and I kid you not, when I just started competing with myself is when I started winning even more. If you run cross-country, what our coach used to always say is he said, when you're running, did you ever look behind you to see who's behind you coming up on you? The moment you do that, you lose a little bit in the race and use a little bit of your game. Do never look behind you. Keep running ahead. Okay, keep running ahead at that next goal. Never look behind you because that stops you. And so when people who compete with other people, what they're doing, they're constantly, you know, they're constantly looking behind them. They're the ones you're losing, not you. The thing is, don't keep people like that in your lives or you know what? Keep them at a healthy distance because they don't do anything but bring you a little bit down. And, you know, I'm sorry if some of you are looking at yourselves thinking, I have a couple of those in my life. Look back and look at what they've done for you recently, and you'll see that they pull you down more than they push you up. It's unhealthy. That's just brilliant and spoken clearly, succinctly. It's the truth. You've been speaking truth. And I hate to think if I come off harsh when I say this, but I'm going to tell you guys, this is stuff from like firsthand experience. You can love people so much. And if you don't get that love back, you know, I never, like I say, I never give up. The things I do give up on are things that are unhealthy for me. That's the only thing I give up in life. Well, you can love anything or anyone, but if it's not mutually beneficial, get out. There you go. You can still love them. 
but just realize you're not going to get that love back. And at one point, you got to keep good business person in your the business of your life too. Don't let people keep on hurting you. Move on. That's not to say cut them off with a terrible no, go on social media. I am not about that. If you need to let go of someone, what my mom taught me that was really great, right? What she said, if you can't help someone, don't hurt them. If you need to walk away from something, do it with elegance and grace. And, that's and kindness. It. And kindness. Because in the end, if you need to go back, you did it the best way. Don't slam a door in someone's face. Ask them to politely leave or excuse yourself. There are many people that really don't know what to do with themselves as far as career, as far as art. They're in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s. They're just lost and they're unhappy because of it and they would like to do something, but what is that thing that they should be doing? You have to think about what do you spend most of your time doing, right? Like me, I was always watching TV. I was always reading a book, but it was always like, trash fiction books so i'm basically living out little movies in my head right i'm not gonna lie i didn't read a bunch of science books no and i was always looking at magazines and so i realized i like things that look good you know maybe i want to look good or i want to create images that look good or i want to create something that is entertaining because i was being entertained so what do you do it's like how great is today if you play a lot of video games right what's the next step to do Let's take that to another level. You can be the best gamer in the world, but you got to put some passion into it. Or people who like they're always cooking or they eat all the time. The world is your oyster nowadays to be anything you want with the internet. With the internet, you can create your own business in a matter of a week. Whether or not the business is going to be successful is how much passion you put into it. But you sit back and you figure out what you spend 70% of your time doing. And then maybe you should follow that path, I'd say. I spend 70% of my time dreaming and creating. There you go. But you dream and create many different things, not just one avenue of things, right? Music, art. Shouldn't you focus on one thing? Haven't you focused on one thing? Not really. I mean, it's a general... And by that, I mean entertainment. Yeah. Well, entertainment's everything, though. I've done radio. I've modeled. I've acted. I'm dipping my foot into the directing pool now. I'm starting to do more like producing like shoots. And so I don't think so. You know, you pigeonhole yourself. Everything you want to do, like, okay, let's say you love food. You can be a chef. You can write about food. You can be a person who grows things, a garden. Find the one thing you kind of love to do and then find something you might like to do in it. Yeah, it's almost like a one-on-one thing. This is when people, I think I need someone to talk to them, more like a person who helps them give them some direction. Because I know what you're saying. It's very difficult for someone who who doesn't think the way we do, you know? I've always been very organized in my head. Everything I think of, all of a sudden, I do an outline for it in my head. I think not everybody thinks that way. And so it's helpful to find someone to give you some guidance, whether that be like a life coach or... And I get this now because now that we're talking, I used to think that was kind of hokey, but now I get why there are life coaches because they're to give someone direction. Remember when you're younger and you're about to go to college... And you kind of knew what you wanted to be when you grew up and you're not sure. And your counselor gave you a couple options and they kind of directed you and gave you avenues, at least to narrow down that big wide world. No, no matter how old you get, you still kind of need a counselor like that. You're taking your counseling from, I'm sure you have some trusted friends that you talk to every now and then, but you're ultimately making your own decisions and you're taking that counseling, as you said earlier, bits and pieces from a variety of podcasts that you, or media that you're listening to. Exactly. Watching, you know, not everybody can afford a life coach. Not everybody can afford a counselor, a psychiatrist, whoever, whoever is the person that gives you some focus in your life. But 
you have to find people that you want to emulate or that you respect. And I think when you find those people, take from what they've already lived. They've cried the tears that you don't necessarily need to cry. They've been through the hurdles and fallen on some of them and been through the obstacles that maybe they can help you from going through yourself. Why are you motivated to talk about this? I'm motivated to talk about this, I think, because so many people have, I think they come up and they're like, man, you're so happy. Why are you so happy? I make it a conscious decision every day that that's how I'm going to be. And it seems like an easy thing to say, but only when you've been through a lot of struggle can you realize, I don't need to be unhappy. And then I think to myself, you can do it too. I honestly think in my head, Ellis, and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm like God or anything, but I know for a fact I can help people like my friends. Small bits and pieces here, people I care about, I love, you know, my family. I give them little tidbits that I've learned about in life. And if you are willing to receive when I'm giving, like how I receive what other people are giving, good things can happen to you. And I've never seen bad things happen to someone that I've tried to give advice to and if they really followed it. Because I only give advice that I follow myself. And obviously, I don't want myself to fail. Are you giving advice to people that are asking for it? Is it unsolicited or? No, you know what I'm giving? I'm giving basically, see, okay, my friends, if someone asks for it, I give you advice. But in general, I'm just letting you know how I would do something. And you can see from my track record what you might want to do it or not too. It's like someone eating a cake and going, mmm, you might want to try that cake. Or someone tastes a drink and is like, Ugh. you might not want to try that drink. It's all up to you. So what I'm just showing you is what I've been through, how it's turned out for me. I'm not saying it'll turn out the same for you. But, you know, when people do say, why are you so happy all the time? Well, let me tell you why. Do you think you need a strong relationship to keep that happiness going every day? Um, what do you mean? I mean an a interpersonal relationship. I mean a relationship between man or woman or woman or, or woman, depending on your preference. I mean, is that important or do you have to go beyond that and build that happiness in you before you can ever entertain oh, okay. a good relationship? I totally get what you're saying I mean, now. That's I, where get I'm going. You. I got you. I got you. And I totally get it. And that's a great question. Because what if you have a bad relationship yeah. in your life? Okay. Ellis, that was a great question. Thank you. Because it took me a while to learn this. The first relationship that you have to make work is the one that you have with yourself. I kid you not. Because I've been in great relationships that have turned terrible and many 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 through the years and I keep on thinking am I picking the wrong person every time am I that bad and then I look at the people I pick and they're like they're so different they're not one person you know it's not a one type it's until you realize it's me I can't stand to be alone you have to stand to be by yourself. Not to say you're always going to be by yourself, because people get that way too. They're just like, you know what? Screw everybody. I don't need anyone. I can be myself. But they're miserable. They're forcing themselves to be by themselves. It's almost like, screw the world. Me, myself, and I stand alone. What? Don't do that. That's just being bitter at that point. You don't really like yourself, but you're just forced to be with yourself now. You really have to be content. When you are content with yourself, it is the biggest I think pheromone that you might put out there for people because when you are very happy to be who you are it attracts people no matter where you are in what circumstance I think that's the biggest thing so the closer you are to your true self and the more you're happy with it that's what makes you more attractive it helps build your shine and your charismatic ability oh for sure you don't keep on having to be live out a lie you know how people always say ah when I'm dating First six months is the representative. After the seventh month, you start seeing the real person, not just like A plus anymore. Now you're seeing A through F. But it's so true. And it's easier on you 
If you're just yourself, it's easier on you. And then you got to find people who like you for the person that you are because then they're going to help you and you help them build the best person that you are. At this point, you're going to be Ellis Plus because you have people that are all about Ellis. So Ellis doesn't have to try to make them love Ellis. They already like him. So now you can just work on creating your, like, you keep on buffing yourself so you keep on shining. I hope people get these analogies because I, I live through analogies. They help me figure things out. <laughs> I feel like I should pay you for this now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think this is? Um, wine. <laughs> we, we're drinking wine, ladies and gentlemen, yes. boys and girls. If there's any boys and girls listening to this podcast right now, do what you want. Yeah. That's my uh, unsolicited advice to you. <laughs> but that's so important. I love that you said that because a lot of people, that codependence thing is a big thing when it comes to relationships. And people don't get that, that unless they're happy, first of all, to be by themselves, they don't have that power to be with someone else. I think it comes, for me, it comes with two things. Age. Mm-hmm. The age is I don't give a flying... The confidence has already been built, right? It's already been built and I don't care anymore. This yeah. is who I am. Take me or leave me. I'm a nice person. Yeah. If we're in the room together, I'm yeah. going to be nice to you. Because yeah, but logically that's key. it that's makes key. sense. <laughs> but that's a key point. Do things with elegance, grace, and kindness. You got to do that. Like you said, because that's who we are as human beings. That's why humanity has been created to experience kindness and love and generosity and giving because perhaps that can't be done on its own without the fleshy body that we're in. I'm not quite sure of it, but I know life just goes so much more smoothly if we're nice oh, to yeah. one another, if we give to one another without hurting ourselves, of course. You know, the thing is, too, we are the top of the food chain. So what are we scared of? Why can't we be nice to each other? We're not eating each other, right? We're not really worried about a lion attacking us. Other animals, other species have a lot more worries than we do. We're so built to be successful and live a great life. What the heck are we doing miserable all the time? We create that for ourselves. So that's what we need to start thinking about. A little bit more kind to each other, less selfish. And when you live life like that, I used to be very angsty. And I realized, you know, I keep on thinking, I got to fight for everything. And thinking, you know, but I need to. Like, that'll show people how strong I am. And then I'll be top. I realized until I started being more kind, more gentle, less selfish, life got better. Because everyone around me treated me better. And there's always going to be somebody you can have a conversation with or have a good experience with. If it doesn't work out with you and whomever it is in your life, it's temporary anyway. Whether it's a year, whether it's 10 years, whether it's a lifetime. We're on a planet of almost 8 billion people, I think. And that means there's 8 billion opportunities Hashtag amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. For real, people, it's not the end of the world. If one person doesn't like you, it's not the end of the world. There are going to be 10 more that come up. And the thing is, if they don't, then you need to go out there and you need to make yourself available for 10 more people to come up to you. It's so true. Everyone takes everything so personally. That's what I noticed too. Don't take everything so personally. If you think you're great, you act that way. Be great. Yeah, be great. Don't let someone's negativity, and I know that in this day and age where oh, the internet's full of negative comments, don't let those things get to you. I filter myself for hours and hours I spend on the internet filtering negative comments from my social media. Because my friends are like, oh, you're on social media. I'm not really. I post one a day, and then I spend the rest of the time filtering bad comments from it. And so 
don't let negative things get to you. And the moment you start living life like that, it's going to be so much easier. It's very hard, though, I know, when it's in your face constantly. I'm glad you brought up social media. I hadn't yes. thought of bringing it up, but you just referenced it. It has to be part of your marketing and part of who you are now. It became that. You didn't start out with social media. None of us did. Mm-hmm. I certainly did. I don't even know what the term might have meant. That's called a PR agent back in the day. <laughs> That was your PR agent, your agent, and your manager. Who made phone calls, please. Yes. You send them photographs of yourself. You so set much up less meetings. work back then for us. <laughs> you are your PR person, your agent, and your manager nowadays. So how crucial is social media in your life as a businesswoman? Social media is huge. You can't beat them, join them. You can't beat social media. This is a beast. It's like reality TV. Social media is huge, but it's also a huge opportunity. It is a way for you to present yourself the way no other person can present you because you know who you are. Now, that also brings up the fact that you need to present who you are as you are, not an airbrushed, polished, totally perfect person because none of us are perfect. And the scary thing is, if you present yourself like that, ideally, you need to meet people face to face at one point. And when you do meet them face to face, it's horrifying, don't you think? It's, it's horrifying. <laughs> if they're not what they present. If they're not what they present, or you are horrified that they're going to meet you, and they are astonished that you are not who you presented. So everything that's done should be with honesty. That's another thing we had to honesty. A lot of people are very afraid to say their honest feelings in relationships, in business. What do we talk about? Being straightforward, being honest, being there. You know, a lot of people forget that. Integrity is really everything. And lying, while it might be momentarily convenient, is traumatizing. That is true. I tend to be as honest as I possibly can. I I can't say that I won't tell a white lie down the road. It could happen because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, perhaps. But the easiest way to being free, attractive, confident is to keep all the lies from your life. Yeah. You've got nothing that you're worried about in that area. You're just available. And if people understand your truth immediately and they know who you are, you lay that out there right away and you set your boundaries or open up your boundaries immediately. There's no guessing game. Everybody understands who you are. You can repeat it when you're being questioned down the road. You can say, listen, up front, I told you who I am. Yeah. This is who I am. You don't need a playbook. No, a playbook is a hindrance. Yeah, you don't need a playbook. You know, when you start needing a playbook, that's, I think, an obstacle in relationships. Integrity is a big thing. And if you don't know the person that you want to get close to, I think that's a mark for, you know, failure right off. Too many people, when they get to know each other, live in the past. Now, there's some things to learn from the past. They're not important in present and future relationships, just as a lot of old research and data is not necessarily relevant for tomorrow because it's a new day every day. And you have an opportunity each time you meet somebody or you're with somebody to bring your best foot forward or not participate in the conversation. Like you said earlier, there's nothing wrong with walking away no. and regrouping coming back another day. Yeah, as long as you walk away with class, dignity and kindness. Now, is that never a, burn a bridge. Is that a Texan-Vietnamese thing? Because it's not necessarily a thing we see out here in, in Los Angeles. <laughs> Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. I, think, it is, it, I think, think it's Texan hospitality that I'm seeing from you the most, having spent time there. Yeah, that and I think respect for each other. Respect for everything. There's no reason to disrespect anybody. Disrespect does nothing but create hurt and anger, you know, resentment. Just give someone respect and if you can't, walk away. You know, the age is always saying is if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Don't prove it. Yeah. Absolutely. If you can't help someone, don't hurt them. 
That's the biggest thing. And I don't know that I've ever done that and not been able to go back to that person again and rekindle something, whether it's a friendship, you know, or a relationship. People are in your life for a reason, a season, a day. Nothing has to be forever. Nothing has to be forever. We'd like it to, but some things don't need to be forever. And it's good to move on. Change is good. Change keeps you rolling around. Change keeps you constantly striving. Do you have any regrets, Christine Wynn? Regrets? Not really. Not really. Sometimes I could say, like, I regret making certain career choices or... Yeah, I think the only time I regret is not being able to have spent more time with the people that are no longer here. It's the only regret I have. But then I don't know, maybe because the fact that I didn't makes me think about them even more. I don't know. I don't really regret a lot in my life. You know, when somebody's had a pet for a long time, a dog or a cat, and that dog or cat passes away, they rush right out and get another one. (laughs) And I don't understand how you can do that. Because say you lose a family member... Anybody or one of your best friends, you've got a hole in your life, right? Should you, okay, you should meet new people, absolutely, but you can't replace what you've lost, but you can find something new every day. Am I making sense? Oh, of course. I get you. I'm right here with you. There's always something new every day. You're an artist. I'm an artist. I think most everyone's an artist in your own life. Every day is a brand new canvas to paint on. Don't take anything negative from the day before. Even if there's a positive, every day is a brand new day for you to do something with. Whether you want to build on the day before, it's up to you. But I'd say, why not challenge yourself with something new every day? We dwell in the past too much, you know? That's so, not a good thing. So what do you want to do that's new and exciting that you haven't done before? What's the future look like for you, Christine? Well, right now, I'm jumping into, you know, I've always been in front of the camera. And I'm getting pretty excited and stoked about being behind the camera now. Not that I'm going to be a photographer. No, tried that. Was not good at it. I know my limitations. But the directing, maybe producing, putting together shoots. I know what looks good because I've been in front of the camera. So I want to help other people look good now. I think that's my main thing. The other day, there was a model that came in from Houston and I set up a shoot for him and I really, really got off on making him look good in front of the camera. It wasn't even to the point anymore that I was like, I wish I was in that shot. I didn't even care. I wanted to make him look good, and I knew how he could look good. So that sounds like your producer, artistic director, director. Yeah. So what it is now is like, you know, producing in all terms of the word, right? You can be a consumer in life, but you know, like there's Maslow's hierarchy. There's five different levels in life. You have to achieve the smallest one to be able to get the self-enlightened one. Not that I'm self-enlightened, but I feel like I've done very well for myself. I've achieved a lot of my goals. And at this point, I would love to help other people achieve their goals. And it's funny, one of my really good friends, he's in the music industry. They do the soundtracks and the music for like movies and films, commercials. And he and his partner, they do this, the company's called Sync Stories, but they did a different branch of it just for women, and it's called Second Mountain. And I love the idea behind Second Mountain. They asked them, what's the name mean? And they said, well, you know, the first mountain in your life is you creating your family, your relationships, your career. The second mountain, because that's, that's a huge mountain to climb, that second mountain is helping others do the same. I feel like that's where I'm at right now because honestly, no matter how successful I get, how many more places can I travel? How many more bottles of wine can I drink? How many more steaks can I eat, right? The fulfillment now comes in 
helping other people achieve what they want, some of their dreams. Because I've been there. I feel like I've, I know my struggle. And the craziest thing is if you get to a certain age and you look and you see other people struggle the same way. I don't have children, but I'm sure parents feel this way. You want to help them. Let me give you an easier way to do this. Or let me enlighten you to some of the things I've been through so you don't have to struggle so hard. I would like to help other people now. And I think that's why jumping behind the camera kind of fits in. And I believe that that was the strongest thing about you that resonated with me. That's why I reached out to connect with you. That was the main reason right there because I feel the same way. I didn't feel it was something I could do alone as a man. And maybe it's something that you can't necessarily do alone as a woman, but I think you probably can. Because you're only telling one side of the story when you're speaking to a, a species that's made up of multiple genders. Correct? True. That's There's so perspective. True. Men and women do think differently. Definitely. And I would never know what that perception is. I would have an idea because I've spent my life studying women as I would study any art. And I think women are art. And the reason for being for a lot of men and for a lot of women too. And that just is. That's part of our biological makeup. The things that bring us together. We're supposed to procreate to keep the species going, Right. But the various ways that we get there that involve passion and love are fascinating and interesting to me. And that energy channeled into creativity and into production. It's really important. It's hard to define, but it's important that we get a handle on it so we can use it for the benefit of others, which ultimately pleases me. If I'm not pleasing you or whoever's in the room with me, then I'm not happy. I can either change how I feel or leave. Yeah. At one point, you want to give back. To be a giver. So we're there at that point in our lives, aren't we? Yes, I think we are. It takes a while to get there, though. Not everyone gets there. You know, and I never knew this is a point in life, actually. I always thought you just got to go, 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 struggle, struggle, struggle. But you will once you get to that point. And it's a, you breathe a little bit easier. Trust me, there's still like the struggle is still real. But you breathe a little bit easier because you realize there's a bigger point to life right now than just you. you when you become a little bit less selfish... Not selfish like you meant to be a bad person, but just like all about me, me, me. When you start doing things to help other people be the best they can be, that's the most rewarding, fulfilling thing in the world. Well, how do you get past that with social media, which is exactly the opposite for the Mm. most part? It's about self-aggrandizement. It's about insecurity. It's about me, me, me. A lot of it is. And even any news media these days, which I turn off. Hey, loving yourself is not a bad thing. Post as many pictures of yourself as you want to. Okay. That's fine. Don't come down on others when they post the same. If you don't like something that someone posted, unless it's abusing, hurtful, hateful, don't say anything about it. They don't need to know that you don't like their picture. They don't need to know that you don't think this is the best look for them or that's the best whatever. There's the smallest things that you can do to make life better. If you don't have anything nice to say to somebody, don't say it. Because at this point, it just makes me feel like, and I'm going to be very frank how I would talk to my friends. These are things I think in my head. And these are things why social media has never bothered me and I've only taken the best from it. If someone says something mean to me, I honestly think to myself, why are you on my page then? Did I invite you to my page? No. So you're on my page. There's a side to the coin, right? Media people love this. If they hate you, hate and love are the same coin but different sides. And media people, we don't care. Because if you hate me, ha-ha, joke's on you. You're still on my page. (laughs) So you lost. But I don't want anyone to hate me, and I don't need hateful things on my page. And most people don't. I don't need to generate that kind of attention. A lot of people do, though. 
But I'm going to tell you this. You keep on generating that kind of attention, it's going to bring you down. Psychologically, it's going to hurt you. You got to filter that stuff out. You see something bad, just erase it. I erase and block all the time. It's like having that one terrible person that's always calling you. And finally, finally, you decide just to block them. Because you don't ever get to hear their messages. You never get to hear, you see them calling you. They're out of your life. But if you let them just constantly call and leave you messages, it gets to you at one point. We're human, right? The more people tell you, you suck. It's going to get to you at one point. But if you just keep on erasing that stuff, filtering that stuff out, then you're good. And every little bit helps when you're building you yourself. Every little bit of positivity helps. I block it all out. I block people that might call me one time and say something nasty to me. Doesn't happen often, hardly ever happens. A negative email, I never want to speak to that person again. Actually, maybe I'm being too harsh, but it works for me. I block a lot out and it works and I move on because if you're even going to respond to that negativity, that's time out of your day, that's time out of your heart, that's pain in your life that you're inviting in by allowing it to stay. And if that person cared about you, what I've noticed about people who really, really care about you, they don't want to hurt you and they don't want other people to hurt you. But the thing is, it all comes to they don't want to see you hurt. If you care about someone, you don't want to see them hurt. True. I don't put people I care about in a position where I could hurt them. And that's me bringing unnecessary drama into their life. You have to temper yourself as a person too because if you bring unnecessary drama into someone's life, then you're hurting that person. You're taking the precious time that they just want to spend with you, making it about yourself. I mean, we all know people like that too, right? There are people out there that it's just like, you just want to have a great time with them. But every time, you ever know there's a friend that every time you see them, it's just negativity that wears you down. Less and less. Yeah, right? But you got to start thinning the herd out. The brain gets clearer. The circle gets smaller. But it's okay. Quality over quantity. Always quality over quantity. But if you do it right, your circle will be big with the right people. Christine, this is one of many conversations we're going to have together. It's the first one. We're just getting to know each other. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. And tell us how people find you on social media, if you dare. It's been my pleasure, Ellis. Like, honestly, it's been so much fun. So I do have three social media, actually four now. If you want to see me kind of in person yakking away, then you can check a view of my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash C as in cat slash C as in cat E-E-N-N. And then I have my Facebook and the handle on that is the number one, my name, Christine with a C-H, Win N-G-U-Y-E-N, with the number one after that. My Instagram handle, the number one, Christine Wynn. And my Twitter. And my Twitter, this is kind of weird. It's, I'm going to spell it out for you. It's N as in Nancy, C-R-Y-S-T-E-A-N. I was really into crustaceans back in the day, and I think I was trying to emulate that in my name. So weird. Thanks. <laughs> Christine, it was a real pleasure. Thanks again for joining me. We'll see you again soon. My pleasure. You definitely will. I've been chatting with actor, model, and journalist Christine Wynn at the Malibu studios of the Ellis Martin Report. Subscribe. It's free. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com.
Join us next time for more opportunities to discover on the Ellis Martin Report. Meanwhile, subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit ellismartinreport.com.